For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and what an episode we have for you today. It's a special one. So let's just get right to it and go through today's order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll talk updates, especially around the conclusion of the inaugural Athletes Unlimited season. Then we'll head into today's interview. An absolute legend, Kat Osterman. There's really not a lot else that needs to be said, so I'm just excited to share it. And then we'll end things as usual with the double play tip of the week. So let's go. Covering our bases. This year has been a roller coaster to say the least. It's hard to believe that we're already in October. I'm not a pumpkin spice person, but I am a sports person. And right now, football is top of mind. Even though we can't actually go to the games this year, we can still take part in it all at Bet Online. Game spreads and totals, team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online has more options than anywhere on the internet. And don't forget that the online casino never closes, it's legit. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. From pro football to pro softball, the Athletes Unlimited season has come to an end. There are so many highlights and takeaways. I'm going to focus on this last weekend today, and I'll break down the entire season and its impact in a future episode. But overall, 57 athletes, four teams, 30 games, the last six this past weekend did not disappoint. So really, Cats team gold went undefeated, 18 runs they scored in the last game. What an exclamation point just to cap off the season. Warren's team orange brought it in every way. She herself was on fire. Pian Castelli's team blue were the comeback kids again, thanks to the bat of Haley McClenney, just really a potent lineup all the way through. Ocasio's team purple, they lost all three games, but they competed. You know, they scored eight runs in their last game. Normally you win with a number like that. And I think we broke the record for home runs in a weekend. We're pushing 30. It's just insane. But at the same time, we saw some pitchers step up. Taylor McQuillan had some tough outings, but then she slammed the door at the end to seal the deal for the Pion Costelli win. And overall, I think the highlight for me that sort of captures the essence of this league in this season, I loved the team names this week that they came up with, the informal ones. They were the Gold Diggers, the Orange Fanta Girls, the Blue Bombers, and Purple Royalty. These are almost like rec ball team names but not in a bad way. It's almost just like it's reflective of how much joy they had playing the game, almost like when you first fall in love with it as a kid. And the home run celebrations at home plate were so creative and linked to all of this. So the gold diggers, they would put a giant gold chain on the person who hit a home run when they came around. The Fanta girls were literally cracking orange soda open and chugging them at home plate. They put a purple robe and crown on home run hitters for purple royalty. Like, just so fun. And that's the takeaway. Softball is fun. Pro softball is fun. You get that pro level skill, especially the hitting with Athletes Unlimited, let me tell you. But it's with that college type passion. And even when the teams change every week, the energy and togetherness is such a good vibe. 
And Athletes Unlimited created that environment and the athletes allowed themselves to thrive in it. So in terms of season results, we have our individual winners and I'll give you their point totals, but also a couple stats just to put it in perspective. So the champ, Kat Osterman, 2,408 points, over 2,400, far and away number one. She had a 1.53 ERA, 95 strikeouts, and 64 innings pitched. And there really was just a clear gap between her and the other pitchers. For context, the next two pitchers, statistically, were Danielle O'Toole and Haley Wagner. They both had 42 Ks and 31 Ks, respectively. But I got to say, a ton of respect to both of them, too. They actually shared a similar load. They were really the only ones to do that in the circle. They each pitch about 62 innings throughout the season, and they had an ERA right around three. So really solid from those three all around. Second place was Jesse Warren. 2020 points in 2020. Her average was 510, which led the league. She had 26 hits, which also led the league. And she had 15 RBIs. So really she's averaging one per game that she played in Athletes Unlimited. Really strong performance. Third place was Victoria Hayward, first ever athlete to sign with Athletes Unlimited. She talked about it when she came on the show. She ended up with 1860 in terms of points. She had a 396 average with 21 hits, which was second in the league tied with McClenney. And seven stolen bases that also led the league tied with Zirkle. But that was a big factor and her chipping away at adding those points. And fourth place rounded out with the Italian stallion, Erica Piancastelli, 1840 in points. Her average was 327. She had nine home runs to lead this league, tied with Savannah Jaguish. So that means her 17 hits, more than half of them were home runs. It's insane. An 885 slugging percentage comes out of that. And really my thoughts are this, it's so cool because they all got there in very different ways. You have a pitcher in the circle, you have a third baseman getting consistent hits, you have an outfielder stealing bases and stacking points, and you have a catcher who's leaving the yard. So Athletes Unlimited really created a system where all kinds of players can be successful. And the third and fourth place came down to the very end of the very last game. Every single play counts, and it should. It's good for the players, and it's also good for the fans. It helps that every play matters. You're more in tune. You're more invested. There's no breaks. And lastly, the defensive player of the year was Haley McClennian. And in terms of points, she had 1,710. So she's listed seventh on the website, but really she was tied with Gwen Svekis and Zirkel in the fifth and sixth slots. So really just missed cracking that top four anyway in terms of points. But I think with her, it's a great example of the fact that not all outs are created equal. They may be in the stat line, but there are really intangibles that can be game-changing. You know, she had diving catches. She was cutting the ball off in the gap to limit bases. These are little things that have a big impact that factored in here. And I have to say, Hannah Flippin and Abby Ramirez were outstanding in the middle infield. Ramirez never even committed an error, despite having plenty of plays to make. And then offensively for McClinney, she had the same exact stats as Hayward in terms of a 396 batting average and 21 hits. So there's a reason that Danielle Laurie considers her a top three hitter in the world. And another important moment that came out of this is that Narisa Myers retired. She was a longtime pro, a Great Britain national team member, ULL stud. And what I love is that her last at bat was a home run. It just doesn't get any sweeter than that. That's it. 
So for closing ceremonies, obviously everybody got their awards, but I think the things that stood out were that everybody just had genuine happiness for each other's successes. You know, there were six total weeks if you include training and you could just see the growth among the players. Victoria Hayward started off opening ceremonies with her speech written out on flashcards. And then come closing ceremony, she really just spoke from the heart with gratitude. And I think that's kind of representative of the player group as a whole, just being their authentic selves and accepting each other. And I really, really loved the challenge that Kat posed to the rest of the players. She basically just said, keep playing. The reason you all play is because Megan Wiggins and I kept playing. So keep playing for the next generation. And it was just so, so, so powerful. And when Kat speaks, you listen. So, and with all of that success and more, season two is coming in 2021. I am so excited. It was just, honestly, the success was across the board. It was the softball product itself, the partnerships, the broadcast coverage, off the field initiatives, just so many aspects that made this thing work. And keep in mind that this was all put on during a pandemic. The athletes stayed healthy and they were great. And it reminds me of the National Women's Soccer League when they successfully had their pro season earlier this year. So it seems like women's sports have really figured something out here. But someone who has always had it figured out is today's guest. And now a lot of these athletes and limited players have just barely made it back home after the season. But I was able to catch up with her the day after she became champion. So let's jump into the interview and hear straight from the source. She is the first ever Athletes Unlimited champion, current and longtime Team USA pitcher, two-time Olympic medalist, going for number three in Tokyo, multi-time MPF Pitcher of the Year, three-time NCAA National Player of the Year, four-time All-American, University of Texas Hall of Famer, and collegiate coach Kat Osterman. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. I know I'm a little bit out of breath already, to be honest, though, from your intro, so <laughs> could be a quick one. Yeah, I was going to say, I, haven't, I don't think I've heard the uh, long list in a while. Normally, we shorten it just a little bit, so. Yeah, but I, you don't really need an intro, but I just want to remind everybody, you know, who we're, who we're working with today. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a million different directions we could go in, obviously, with our conversations. So let me just start with this. You just finished the Athletes Unlimited season. How are you? How are you feeling? Uh, I'm good. A little tired. Um, obviously, after season finished last night, we had a nice celebration. Um, I still went to bed before everybody, but that was still late for me. So kind of feeling the, the emotional, I guess, letdown almost of just knowing it's over and it's time to go home. And um, we've all thoroughly enjoyed our time here um, and getting to know each other. And it really was like a group of 56 that just kind of found our way together and you know, there weren't really big clicks. People kind of hung out with different people all the time. And um, it's just kind of going back, going back to reality. You know, we did live in a little bubble area, kind of our own bubble for six weeks. And now um, you enter back into the real world. Yeah, it must be weird because it seemed like it really was such a special environment, like such a special group. It's going to be hard to replicate for year two, it seems like next year. It does seem that way. Year one was so incredible. Um, they thought of everything. They kept finding ways to, you know, help us stay entertained and not get into the, the lull of being in a bubble and only really being able to be in a hotel. Like we could literally only go to our hotel and then the dome and the field. Like we weren't allowed to stop at Starbucks or I mean, you could stop and get gas in your car. That was about it. Um, we couldn't go to the grocery store or anything like that. So everything was delivery and 
Um, so it's been a little while since any of us have um, seen, I guess, real life, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but just the, the personalities we all had were so incredible and it made it so special that um, it's hard to think it'll be duplicated, but I'm also wondering like, is it pot, like, what is year two gonna hold? Like, I think, you know, we could still, I don't wanna say make it better, but hopefully we can recreate this um, intensity and um, just the camaraderie that all 56 athletes had. I feel like everything in softball these days is just getting better or bigger. And so this feels like it'll kind of trend that same way, hopefully. Yeah, this is great. Um, they just announced today that we will have year two here in Rosemont in 2001. So that's awesome. I think John and Jonathan and the team that they've put together literally have thought of everything and they're trying to figure out every single way to continue this long term. So, um, you know, they get balls and jerseys signed and things and they're like, this is for our Hall of Fame one day. Like how many seasons do you have to have of that before you can have a hall of fame? But, um, you know, they're doing some pretty cool things and, uh, I just am excited about the future, not only for softball, but just the other female sports that they're putting in, you know, volleyball kicks off in February. And, um, I think that'll be another tremendous addition to the pro softball or the pro athlete world. Any women's sport that grows, like it, it just raises the level or creates more opportunities for all the other women's sports. And I think Athletes Unlimited seems like it's just such a culmination of that and, and of everybody trying to work together to make that happen, which is really, really cool. And I'm, I'm just, I love that they started with softball of all sports. It's exciting for us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to the pandemic, because I think the original plan was to have started with volleyball this past February and um, it didn't work. It didn't happen because of COVID. But um, yeah, it was awesome. And yeah, it is the first time like the timing of it is perfect because there was no national teams events going on. So like, you know, as I think they've mentioned, there were 19 Olympians here that are going to be over in 2021 in Tokyo. So we were all able to come together and play. They really, you know, sought out some of the best softball players um, in the country in order to get here and create this competitive environment. So um, it is definitely the best of the best and um, one of the best environments that I've ever been part of. So, so cool. And I'm glad you guys were able to celebrate a little bit, like you said, um, even though, even if you did go to sleep earlier, that's fine. <laughs> then everybody else, at least you still celebrated. Yeah, it was fun. They, uh, every Monday night we've done a little social gathering in the, well, the first one was out at the field and then everything else we moved into the dome because the weather got a little bit chilly, but um, we've been able to kind of have a social gathering with, you know, keeping six feet apart, masks, all that. But um, last night was since games were over, it was kind of a little bit Little, little less rule compliant as far as masks and stuff. We were allowed to kind of let loose just a little bit, but um, you know, it was fun. And yeah, our CEOs were in there. The staff was in there. Everyone was just in there to culminate, you know, hard work on everyone's behalf for the last six weeks. One thing that always seems to pop up in conversations um, about you, especially on the broadcast, which I don't know if you even got a chance to really go back and listen to them very much because um, you're oh, yeah. on the field, you're busy. Uh, we're on the field, but I go back on um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays and chart pitches. So I, uh, I've watched plenty of them. <laughs> that, that's a veteran move. That's a veteran move. <laughs> I think it's, like, it's the soft, half softball nerd in me, half coach in me. When I know I'm drafting a team, I want to see like who's hit who well. And um, if we know we're going to face somebody, like how they've pitched to them so I can kind of help put the bug in their ear. Makes sense. It makes sense. But one thing that they always seem to bring up is your age. And I know it's something that you talk about too. You know, you're like, I'm 37. And you said it last night after you got the champion's medal. Like, I'm pretty damn proud of what I did at 37 years old, which is awesome. So there's this one piece of like, 
hey, you've been able to accomplish so much so far coming back. But also, do you ever kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, like I'm the oldest, we get it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I make the joke. I'm very proud of what I did mainly because I mean, I retired for two and a half, almost three years and being out of the competitive element for that long. Um, I learned that like physically I got back in shape, but it's like the mental part. That's the hardest part to get back into shape because it's not a light switch. It doesn't just turn on when you cross the white lines. And um, I knew it wasn't going to just turn on automatically. I just didn't know it wasn't going to come back as quickly as I assumed it would. Um, and so this, this situation allowed me both physically and mentally to click and get back to a point where there's no doubt in my mind when I take the mound, what I'm capable of doing. Um, but so while I'm very proud of what I've done in the last two and a half years since unretiring, um, part of me sometimes is like, can we stop talking about it? Only because Justin Verlander's 37 and won the Cy Young last year. Um, I'm, you name it, Bartolo Colon, Mariano Rivera. I mean, they all pitched well into their deep thirties, you know, like for men, it's not unusual. And then you don't hear the broadcast saying, Oh, he's 37 and still dealing. Like he's expected to deal. Cause he's Justin Verlander or Mariano Rivera, whoever. Um, but yet for us, it's like, it's so not the common thing that it seems to be so mind blowing that somebody at 37 can still play at an elite level. But um, again, something I pride myself in is just the way I tackle every day and the way I tackle my training and, um, nutrition to a certain degree, as well as, you know, just continuing to learn the game and keep, keep processing things. So, um, it's pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. And I will, I will wear the age, the age crown for a while. Um, and proudly, but, um, it is something that I think, and I hope at some point for women, it's not such a big deal that we're still playing well past the age of 30. Agree. That's the point is like to keep women playing, which you also said I loved after the game yesterday, like challenging some of these younger players that are maybe kind of fresh out of college, like, Hey, keep playing. You know, you played, like you said, you Megan Wiggins played. Now they're able to play, like keep that going for everybody else. Yeah. You know, that was a challenge. And it's something I had thought about just trying to find a time to say before we left anyways. And thankfully I was given a mic. I didn't really want the mic last night, but, um, apparently that was part of it. So I think so many people get into pro ball and it's hard. Um, you're on your own. You don't have a strength and conditioning coach telling you where to be and when to be there and what to lift. You don't have a coach telling you it's time to hit. Like you have to do things on your own. Um, and that transition is hard on people and going up to the next level. I mean, you're facing 37 year olds who have been in the game for a long time. You're facing some of the best pitchers in the world, um, that are going to go compete in Tokyo it's not supposed to be easy for you. And so it's just like, you're kind of a freshman year all over again when it's your rookie season in pro ball. And so many of them either a, you know, give up because the rookie year wasn't great and then they were miserable or B um, financially can't figure out how to make ends meet in between. And so, um, you know, some of us that have done it for a long time, we've found ways to make ends meet. Um, and it's not the most conventional way, but if we want pro softball to continue, then everyone has to keep playing to give the younger generations one, something to dream of, but the time between us and that generation that's watching us right now, dreaming of being AU one day, they, we have to have people playing in between us to give them the opportunity. So um, yeah, that was the challenge was just, you know what, find ways to make it work. Um, and I hope that, you know, just in general population and, whether it's teaching jobs or whatever, that 
people find ways to help empower female athletes and say, you know what? Yeah, you can come work here. I understand you have this six week commitment. We'll work around it. Um, I think if the pandemic's shown us anything, you can work remotely. So yeah, true. Yeah. that kind of longevity. I know you talk about what helps you or what has helped you or what will help people kind of stay in the game to actually make that happen. It's like you talk about good mechanics and you talk about staying in shape, but I would imagine that being able to make adjustments is also on that list. Oh yeah. You have to make adjustments in everything. I mean, I think making adjustments is just part of life in general, but you know, especially in this atmosphere that we just finished playing in six weeks, you have to make adjustments week to week because we're facing the same hitters. Um, So, you know, I see Haley McClinney, who I'd rather be on my team, but she didn't ever last till the eighth pick where I could pick her for my second pick. Um, But, you know, I have to face her over and over and try to come out with a new game plan. And um, Spanna Jaquish, Megan Wiggins, you know, all these big hitters. And you have to be able to adjust on the fly. You have to be able to prepare. Um, Like I was talking about watching pitches and figuring out, okay, was that a good pitch or did I leave it over the plate? Um, and then on top of it, you know, as you get older, you make adjustments to your routine, to your workout plans, to your nutrition. Um, I don't work out and eat the same way I did when I was 25, 26. I wish I could, but I can't. (laughs) It's just the nature of it. Um, but you know, this game is all about whoever makes adjustments quicker is who ends up on the successful side. Adjustments in game, literally pitch to pitch, at bat to at bat. Like it's, it's not just like, oh, let me wake up tomorrow and make the adjustment. It's, it's, you're doing this live. Right. Looking at Athletes Unlimited from the pitching standpoint, if you just look at the numbers, look at the points, look at the stats, there is a gap between you and the other pitchers. What do you think the difference is? I mean, I wish I had the answer. I think one experience, um, two, as I said, like I am very diligent with the daily grind um, and being very particular about how I want my bullpens to um not how they want to be formatted, but how I want to see my pitches break, how I want to make sure I'm placing my pitches. So a lot of times I won't stop until I get to the point that I'm like, okay, that pitch is good today. And I just think I, I came in having thrown a decent amount. So I was ready to go from the get go. Um, and that to me, I think might've been the difference. I think there's some pitchers that were like, oh, okay, a week or two into it, I'll, I'll peak and be ready. But Um, I came ready to go. But at the same time, as I said, I just do homework. I know more than anything, like if you're going to miss, you might as well miss off the plate and up and down. Um, And I really work on trying to never really be over the plate a whole lot. I mean, I think even if you see my strikes most of the time, they're not whole ball and plate. Like I'm figuring out a way to split the plate. So, and to be honest, when you're a captain, you get to make decisions and figure out how much you have to pitch. Um, I think I got up there in points in week two because I pitched more than I had planned to, um, having to go, I think I went six, seven and four, and that was never my plan to throw that much in week two, but, uh, we rebounded and and recovered thankfully. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it seems like, I mean, there are a lot of elements that, well, I guess that's kind of this year in a nutshell, like, yeah, a lot of things didn't go to plan, but we just figured it out. I feel like softball players are the most adaptable people. Not only is it like part of our game, but it's just like, you never know what wrench is going to be thrown at you, whether it's professionally Olympics, whether you name it, we just roll with the punches. A thousand percent. That's just been our history. Um, which I was almost going to say, unfortunately, but I don't really know if it's unfortunately. I mean, there are certain things that, of course, you wish were, we wish were different historically, like you wish the Olympics were, never left, all those types of things. But in the end of it all, I do think that we tend to rise from it. So it, is, it does make us stronger in a way. 
I do. And the other thing I think it makes us appreciate really good environments better. Um, so like this environment with Athletes Unlimited is so amazing that I think after, for those of us that have been in professional softball or just continuing to play since college um, ended, we are so much more grateful for this opportunity just because it is head and shoulders above anything that we've ever been part of. It's definitely innovative for sure, which has been great. Yeah, and that part's fun. The innovation part and the points piece is so much fun. Yeah, you get to do something different. Like if you love something, you know, getting to try new things, like that's just, that's kind of the dream. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think if anybody would have said like, oh yeah, we're going to do points or whatever, most people would have been like, what are you guys talking about? Just play the game. And um, it added a layer of, like a layer of involvement for the fans. It, you know, added a, just kind of a piece for us. I know, um, don't get me wrong, we play a team sport and you always want to win the game, but with the points of innings, it was always like, okay, if we, you know, even like last night, when you go up six runs, you're still trying to win that one inning. So it's like, find a way to get the one run. So we get the inning points, right? Um, because 10 points can and did, and actually in our situation, differentiate third and fourth place. So it's like, if we don't, if we don't get that seventh inning point, Victoria Hayward's fourth instead of third. And so that's pretty incredible that, you know, one play can be a 10 point play, but then in, when you look at bonuses, it can be almost like somewhere between a hundred and fifteen hundred dollar play depending on what it impacts right and that's a good that's just good prep for the olympics too just with how close it could be from being on the podium and not yep exactly it's crazy and something you mentioned about pitching specifically you talked about changing levels Mm -hmm. i think like what i've noticed with kind of these girls that are in college or fresh out of college they're a little bit more east to west like throwing curves and and screwballs and kind of staying on that plane but you talk a lot about how like, yeah, I, I'm not throwing seven pitches out there. Like I, I focus on three, I have a rise, I have a drop. So you talk a lot about mastering what you do have. You have to, and this is kind of my message as I go forward and um, the new position I took in the Bombers organization as director of pitching development is talking about embracing who you really are as a pitcher. Um, you know, we talk about it as people a lot and trying to figure out, you know, be authentically you, but it's the same thing as a pitcher. If you, I'm not saying you can't be an East-West pitcher and be successful. By all means, Randy Rupp Hennigan played for me at Texas State. She's mainly a curveball pitcher with a changeup and was an All-American twice. Um, but her changeup was her, her difference maker. Um, so it is find what pitch is your, your, your go-to pitch, your dominant pitch. Let's develop an off-speed, and then let's maybe find one more pitch that complements those two. We don't need to learn seven pitches and all of them are average. Maybe one or two might be slightly above average, but you're not going to be dominant with seven pitches. Like all seven pitches are not going to be dominant because you have, there's no way in the time frame that you've been learning pitching, you really put in the work to what I call master a pitch. And so um, growing up, I actually mastered the rise ball first. Um, I threw it for almost nine and a half months in the driveway before I ever threw it in a game. Um, the first time I had to throw in a game still, I don't think my dad really wanted to let me, but I don't remember why we did something. What something was going, either my changeup wasn't working or the ump was like the zone was higher, something like that. And my dad was like, all right, let's try the rise ball. And so we did. And then it was like eyes open, like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And so I was actually a rise ball pitcher prior to college, which most people don't realize so when I pull it out, especially in games here at Athletes Unlimited, they're like, you know, fans more than anything are like, oh, you added a rise ball. I'm like, no, I've always had a rise ball. I had a rise <laughs> ball, I had a drop ball. I hate to break it to you. 
Um, but I learned the rise ball, mastered the rise ball, throwing it at different heights, different sides of the plate, um, and then worked, you know, still had a fastball and a changeup. And that, I, that got me until I was probably about 15, to be honest. And then from there, we learned, we learned a curveball. And um, I didn't quite master the curveball until college, um, but I was on a good enough, well enough path of mastering it um throwing it normal so for me away from lefties and then eventually right before college we played with the back door so um into lefties that kind of catches the inside corner um but still like still not throwing seven pitches um and I honestly to this day I've never thrown seven pitches I don't throw a screwball um if my drop happens to curve a little bit that's just kind of by how I release it I don't have a drop curve I don't have a rising screwball I don't have a sinker and a splitter and a two finger and a cutter and a you name it I have a rise a curve a drop and I throw two variations I mean my curve on both sides of the plate and a slow curve so if you want to take my slow curve and make it a fourth pitch maybe I have four but um you don't need all that um, if you master what you have work on location figure out how to throw what you have in counts that work in your favor um then you're going to be better off and I think too many people want to be a jack of all trades, master of none. And that's not going to be, uh, that's not going to help you be dominant, to be honest. If you look at all the dominant pitchers of the past, when people talk about it, myself, Monica Abbott, Alicia Hallowell, they had a pitch that was dominant. Monica was a rise ball. Mine was, my, me and Hallowell were kind of drop ball pitchers, although Hallowell went both ways, to be honest. Um, but she had a nasty changeup to go with that. Um, Taryn Mowat had a nasty changeup. Like people who were dominant had a pitch that, that's like their legacy. Um, Megan Langefeld had, and Stacey Nelson screwballs. Um, so it's like, don't try to be a master of all, all, all pitches. Um, it's okay to be average for a little while. It's okay to, till you're 14 or 15 to get hit occasionally because you're working on things. And I think that's the problem is people don't want to fail. So we want to like learn seven things that we can throw at everybody. But then when we get to the elite level, those seven things aren't really good enough to get hitters out consistently. Right. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I did face Megan Langfeld's screwball and it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. tough. Um, but yeah, you're, it's like, you can do a lot with one pitch. I think that's the thing too, is people throw a pitch one way and it's like, you don't have to only throw it one way. You've mentioned the backdoor curve, like an off-speed curve. Like you can do a lot with the one pitch and place it in different spots. Yeah. I mean, you can take a curve, you can cut it, you can angle it down a little bit. You can angle it up a little bit. It doesn't mean it's a separate pitch. It's just a different angle or finger pressure. You know, I talked about Randy Rupp Pinnigan. It was, she threw a regular curve and then the next year we added a back door. We played with a slow curve. It didn't work, but she could throw it on the corner. She could throw it on the river. She could throw it on the chalk. Um, occasionally she elevated a little bit. And so it's just a matter of, you can place it and essentially six different quadrants if you wanted it if you wanted to and it doesn't mean it's a different pitch you just learn how to get the correct spin and then from there you you play you place it and play with kind of release points and angles of fingers and stuff like that and as you say all the time it helps when you have a good relationship with your catcher which you have done throughout your entire career but you also did it with an athletes unlimited with Gwen and I know you get asked about her a lot like what what is it that you like about her and all these things but I know you've mentioned that she reminds you of Megan Willis which that's already obviously a plus. But did you guys kind of have this moment? You know, some people have this mentality of, oh, no new friends, stick to what I know. But did you have this moment, like, you know, in the movie Step Brothers, where they have this moment and they're like, 
did we just become best friends? You know what I mean? Did you have like a moment with Gwen like um, that? Kind of, I think. So Gwen was uh, not eligible for the very first scrimmage that we had. Um, and so I draft, that's when I drafted teams and um, I ended up not having her. I just threw to Pianca Stelli, which I enjoyed throwing to her as well. Um, and then once we were able to um, do the second scrimmage, Jesse Warren selected me. And then I was like, hey, let's grab Gwen. I had thrown a bullpen to her prior to scrimmages starting. And I just liked the conversation we had. Um, I enjoyed throwing to her, but the conversation reminded me kind of of the way Megan and I would talk about the game. Um, she just was able to really articulate how she liked to call games, how she liked to tunnel pitches, which tunneling pitches is not a foreign term by any means in our sport, but you don't hear it a lot from younger athletes. And so when we started talking about those things, I was like, all right, I need to, I need to get this a shot. And then we went into that first scrimmage and just one, we're both talkers. So like what we say between home plate and the circle, God only knows, but we talk to each other throughout the game. Sometimes it's only softball. Sometimes it's talking about going to the garden later and hanging out and eating or whatever. Like it's just constant conversation, which keeps me engaged, but just the way she called the game clicked. And I was like, okay, if I can, if I can throw to her as much as possible, I want to, because I'm throwing my game and I'm starting to really get in a groove. And, um, from there on out, it just, it blossomed. And I mean, like I said, you know, her knowledge of the game rivaled Megan's, um, which for me is kind of a comfort factor, but then too, I know that the more we get in a groove, the less I have to think. And so when I shake, a lot of times it's a gut feeling, not a knowledge feeling. It's not something like, oh, I know this person hits this. I'm not throwing it. It's just more of my gut says something else. And she was able to understand that and um, not saying other catchers here wouldn't have, but if it's going to work, roll with it. I'm, t I'm slightly superstitious when we're winning. So, um, you know, I thankfully kept her around for four weeks. So that way on week five, nobody else had thrown to her and nobody, <laughs> nobody took her away from me. I know. I like the strategy. Yeah. What other superstitions do you have? Um, well, if you noticed when I was, um, captain, the gold team wore the same uniform all the time. We'd never changed socks or anything. In fact, we accidentally changed visors and helmets one day and we lost pretty badly. And Aubrey Leach was like, um, we wore the wrong visor yesterday. I was like, well, why did you let us do that? I don't wear a visor. Um, <laughs> like switch it back. So every day from then on, they'd be like, which visor? I'm like, I don't know. Ask Aubrey Leach. Just ask Leach. She's in charge of visors and helmets. But um, that I'm not superstitious about like eating or anything like that. It's more of our BP top stays the same if we're winning. Um, uniform stayed the same, and then I've, I'm just routine oriented. Once we get to the field, so my warm up is always the same. I people say it's superstitious. I'm like it's just routine. Like if that's what gets you warm, then you might as well stick with it. Well, and all you can control is your approach. Like there's so much you can't control in this game, so you might as well control what you can. Well, yeah. And I feel like the bullpen's preparation. It's not superstition. It's preparation. So right. why would you prepare consistently? Doesn't mean if they tell me, Hey, you have 15 minutes instead of 30 that I can't get warm, but I'm going to, if I have 30, I'm going to consistently prepare the same way because it's worked. Yeah. I love the uniform, uh, the detail too. Did you even, you were gold every week because you were atop the leaderboard, except for the first week you were orange, okay. team orange, but yeah, we were orange. Yeah. But did you even take the tag off your purple uniform? like no <laughs> no they um they asked us to sign two of our jerseys and give it back to them for things and we got to keep two and I was like well I'm gonna keep the two I wore and yeah um my baby blue I had worn in the scrimmage so that one didn't have a tag but my purple had a tag I hadn't 
touch my purple uniform. So, and I have plenty of socks that haven't been opened either. So <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, but Hey, it worked, you know, just ride that train. <laughs> as long it works. As- well, the other thing was with the blue top there, we didn't really have very many options that matched as far as pants go. Like you're not going to wear black and Navy blue and gold. So um, that's true. Our only other option would have been either gray or white and they didn't really look great. So we could have changed our socks and done all blue, but yeah, not when you're winning. Yeah, no, definitely not when you're winning. I have to ask you to actually the walkout song being the undertaker. Now I heard that your husband chose this. Is he a WWE fan or like, where did this come from? Oh, so, um, little background story. Um, uh, undertaker and his wife, Michelle McCool live in Austin. And, um, one of my former roommates when we were living together, had through mutual friends gone out and done some self, some hitting clinics for what ended up being his daughter and her friends or her team. Um, and she came home one day and was like, Hey, they want their daughter to start pitching. And they knew I roomed with you. And like, would you go out for a one-time pitching clinic? And so I did a pitching clinic, but then I ended up giving his daughter lessons for a while. So, um, we're kind of slightly family friends with them. Um, I should say slightly, we're family friends with them. And, I obviously, I watched WWE growing up until about high school. There's a point in time where like you realize that the storyline is kind of hokey. Um, and so at that point I quit watching, but I've just always been a fan. And obviously he is a legend in WWE. And um, I've used Mariana Rivera's walkout song, Inner Sandman for the last, well, before I retired for like two years. So um, that was my first choice. And then my husband was like, well, he's a legend. You're a legend. Why don't you use his walkouts or his song? And I was like, you know what? Why don't we? So it was kind of a nod to a tip of the hat to um, one of the the great legends in kind of sports entertainment. Um, while at the same time, I think it just set a different tone this year too. Um, I think I'm not sure everyone knew what to think the first time it played. I think a couple of people were like, "What is this?" And then some <laughs> others were like, "Oh my god, you don't know what this is." Um, but I just thought it was appropriate. But yeah, my husband came up with it. So, um, and I'm not really picky about walkout songs. I mean, I used to use Roy Jones Jr. Can't Be Touched, but Megan Wiggins also uses that one. So we battled for it a couple of times. But after retiring and coming back, I was like, I'm just going to go with whatever. So yeah, Undertaker's walkout song um, definitely set a tone, though. I loved it. It's definitely a certain vibe. I cannot tell you how much I loved it. Like, this could be an entire other episode, me talking about this. But I actually, I am a WWE fan. I actually tried out to be a WWE wrestler. At oh, the performance awesome. that yeah. is so cool. So it's it's like, you know, I'm watching not only WrestleMania, but like definitely all the big pay-per-views and all yeah. that stuff. But Undertaker is just such like you said it, legend. That's it. That's that's the way to describe him. But his entrance music, my boyfriend and I used to watch the all the pay-per-views and we would time it because it was the longest one by far. And he just like his whole thing is like he never dies, like he never goes away. He's always I don't, I don't know. know. It, let him go away. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like the second you hear the first note, you know exactly what it is. And I felt like it was so fitting for you and Athletes Unlimited and just fun. So I was like, I have to ask her this. Yeah. You know, there's one point I, w- I was like imagining, I'm like, I wish I could have like two like things that did the fire. <laughs> oh, the pyrotechnics. Yeah. yeah. That would have been really cool. But then I was like, that's too much to do for uh, you know, your whole 30 second warm up you get, but yeah, well, no, I was- love just envisioning like the dark, the dark 
arena and then he comes walking down and then yeah it goes up i'm so glad you can appreciate that oh like you have no idea like i'm trying to like seem you know like keep it cool but (laughs) but yes it was so fun that's awesome that's awesome (laughs) so i stopped following when the whole stephanie test and triple h love affair triangle happened back in the day like that's when i was like all right we're done yeah that's that's fair you're right it's one of those things where it's like as a kid but then when i got older for some reason it just kind of came back and i think it was from watching the women like because they it's it's like funny when i admit this but it's like yeah i started watching total divas like the reality show and i just thought it was so cool what all what the women were doing in that industry and so that's kind of how i got hooked yeah i love that there's more women now. i mean when i originally was watching it was china that was it really yeah well, and then Michelle McCool too. I mean, that's what a cool, that's, it's just really cool. Actually, you know, who else is a big WWE fan these days who didn't used to be is Alyssa Haber, who I think that you played with on USA I a while back. Babes. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't, that is so weird to me. I would never strike her as a WWE fan. Right. Well, I will say it came from her husband. Like her husband's a, a big WWE fan. He's from Ireland and she just was like, fine, you know, I'll watch it with you kind of thing. And then she started watching it too and got into it. And I was like, yes, like she was my first like female friend that was also into it. So we started talking about it a lot. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, I We watch now more, like we'll watch when Undertaker's back on. And have you ever been to a live event? I have. I'm so lucky. I got to go to WrestleMania like five years ago in the Bay Area. And it was awesome. Yeah, we went so cool. to Royal Rumble, I want to say three years ago now. It was so cool. Um, it's just, I never in my life would have imagined being at an live event, but it was, it was fun. I feel like the fans are just, They're crazy. yeah, like second to none, like just so intense. Half the time it would be like when they come through the crowd or go through the crowd, like how do you get through the crowd? Because all those people are just like, grab, grab, I, grab. Yeah, seriously. And I don't know. It's so crazy, but I just, yeah, I love, I love the tie-in. I love it. Thank you. I'm so glad someone appreciated it. <laughs> it makes me kind of, I'm kind of sad that like more people didn't get it, like your fellow teammates slash competitors, but that's fine. <laughs> right. I know fans did. Like the first time it played, I had a couple of tweets that were like um, Undertaker music classic. I was like, yes. Yes. Like and then you never know like what actually gets played on the TV. Like you don't know if they hear it or if, like do we cut right as... Yeah, I didn't hear it at first. Then later I was like, wait a minute. Is this happening? Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Sure did. But speaking of kind of random fandom, I guess, you're also a collector of Wonder Woman, right? So what's the backstory with that? (sighs) It's kind of funny. So I've always loved, I grew up loving She-Ra. Tip of the hat, nobody knows who she is, but I grew up loving her. Um, she was with the Thundercats. My cousin had the Thundercats Mountain. We played the little figurines when I would go over and visit. Um, and then obviously Wonder Woman's just super powerful, badass to be got to be honest. And so I had had a couple things of hers, but this is when I first started kind of venturing into social media. We kind of did a social media experiment where I literally just tweeted out like something about Wonder Woman collection. And I'm not lying to you, within two weeks, I had 15 to 20 comics, um, a lunch kit, figurines, you name it. Fans had brought them to the game or sent them to my PO box. Like it was insane. 
And so then I was like, well, this is fun. And so then I legitimately just started collecting it. And still, I will say about 80% of my collection is probably stuff fans have given me. Um, there's some stuff that we have bought because I like it. Um, or my brother, my brother's given me the movie posters for my, for, for Christmas and birthday presents. Um, but yeah, I just love badass women to be honest. And, um, yeah, I kind of put it out there as a joke and then I started getting comics and stuff. And now I'm like, Oh, all right, let's keep collecting it. Um, I've actually looked up the first comic ever, but it's really expensive to buy on eBay. So I won't be getting that one. Other ones. Um, I have a ton. I I have, there's one more modern collection that a fan literally gave me the whole collection of it. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Yeah. They're all in boxes right now waiting to get put up as soon as we get the built-in wall unit in our entertainment room. And then I have an entire wall just for Wonder Woman. So I have a a Wonder Woman Barbie. I have Wonder Woman lunch kit. Trying to think if there's anything brand. I have the little pop, all the little pop kind of semi bobblehead things. Um, Yeah. I love the movie and the new one's about to come out. Yes. Uh, That trailer was amazing. I want. I really wanted to be Gail Gadkot's um, stunt double, but apparently they didn't read my tweet. So <laughs> that would have been epic. I might be a little taller, but I figured if you needed her to look larger than life, I could take that. I could take over that role. But oh my god, we we have to find a way to make this happen. I would gladly get more cut if I needed to for that role. <laughs> She's awesome. Like Wonder Woman. I feel like that of the recent DC superhero movies has actually been probably the best like more so than batman superman all those others oh yeah hers was my favorite i liked aquaman too agree it's like that was definitely like second place but it's not bad looking at his six pack for all of aquaman either right it's like i i think i have different reasons for liking those movies but that's fine i think (laughs) i liked aquaman though because i had no i had no idea the backstory um of aquaman really so it like totally gave the whole backstory and that's where wonder woman too at least you got the whole backstory sometimes mm-hmm. batman and superman they just pick up at random times and you're like mm, okay i know what happened, what happened 10 years ago i don't know yeah that's actually that's true that's a good point i like the kind of what do they call it um isn't there a word for it the origin stories there you go like when that's the yeah. theme of the right but now that we have that for wonder woman yes the 1984 one so excited to see yeah i'm excited i can't wait my brother was like, they're, he sent me the link. They're releasing the trailer live. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm busy. I'll have to see you later. That's a thing now, though. Like trailers coming out being a thing. It's like almost as big of a deal. As yeah, the movie. I don't know if it was like at a convention or something, but the trailer was going live. Like you could link, log on to watch the trailer live for the first time. It was crazy. Does your stepdaughter also like Wonder Woman? Um, she, I think she likes it because I like it. Um, but she she knows I do so yeah she'll like sometimes drop so she has this she makes me homemade bookmarks it's the cutest thing um so every now and then it'll either be softball or Wonder Woman or I'll come home and she'll have found like a Wonder Woman card or something and like bought it asked her dad to buy it and give it to me I we haven't watched the movie together but she has pajamas that are Wonder Woman and every time she wears them she's like cat look at my pajamas I'm like I know I see you I'm gonna help raise you to be a freaking Wonder Woman here we go exactly um, so exactly. we we bond over it sometimes. She'll see stuff in the store and be like, "Cat, it's Wonder Woman." I'm like, "I know, but we're not gonna buy it. I don't. I don't really have a use for that. We're not gonna buy it today. We're gonna let it let it sit there." Oh, that like, is so cute. And it's still there. We can get it. <laughs> Fair. That's a good rule. Yeah. yeah. Man, I, I I think it's so great too seeing 
I mean, from what I have, you know, from what you have shared with the world, uh, your relationship with your stepdaughter, my mom has been a stepmother to my brother, my older brother, he's my half brother. So he's literally my brother from another mother, which is funny, but um, since he was six years old and just witnessing their relationship has been really cool for me my whole life. And I think it's great that you're so open about it. And what do you feel like the biggest thing that you've learned from that experience has been? Well, I think it took a, it took a little while to be honest. I mean, I met her when she was three. Um, and so obviously it had just been her and her dad for a little while. Um, I mean, Custy's 50, 50, so they split, but just when she was with her dad, it was always her and her dad. And so, um, you know, having at first, I think she thought I was like a play friend and then she realized, okay, she sometimes plays with me, but she's here with dad. And then, you know, that whole process of, okay, you know, that's my dad. Um, and just to see it play out, but I think it probably took she, till she was about five or six, well, probably six, more so six, seven, for us to kind of get along um, more than just randomly. Because, but again, at four or five, you're not understanding that someone's really trying to help you grow as a person. Right. Um, and um, so now she gets it. And again, you know, younger, when she was younger, there were times we had to go to events for me and it's like, it's a, it's a nice event. You know, we're dressing up to the nines and I'm like, I would love to take her, but she has to behave. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so sometimes it's just easier to be like, okay, you can go stay with your mom tonight. than you know, come with us. But, um, she started to be, well, she'd be like, I want to go. And I'm like, all right, well, you have to prove to me that you can behave. And now she's nine and it's great. Um, one of the last times, uh, I think she left for her mom's before she went to summer camp and she wrote a note on her, I, we write notes on our mirrors at our house. And um, she wrote a note on her mirror that was like, thank you for teaching me so many lessons for life. And I was just like, oh, you get it. Like, this is great. Um, but I, when we got married, knowing she was going to be my stepdaughter, I loved her, but it wasn't, it wasn't as a deep of love as like, I really wanted it to be. But obviously growing over time now, she's not mine, but she's mine. Um, and it took a little bit to get to that point. And I love kids, but most of the time I love them because I can give them back to their parents. Um, so I'll play with them, joke around, whatever. But then it's like, Hey, <laughs> go home now. Responsibility uh, handoff. Yeah. yeah. So, um, this was different. And so it was just adapting, but she has taught me a different, a different meaning of love. Um, obviously from a child now and a child that I get to help see, succeed in life but um at the same time a, a little bit of patience I think I knew how my mom and dad raised me and I knew that at a young age what were our priorities as far as you know manners and things like that and I wanted it to be like okay be like this now and like you can't just snap your fingers and your kids all of a sudden have table manners and different things so it was just a process of being patient but um I definitely enjoy her um quarantine was fun we she had to do a dance for her dance class. Like they did a social media contest. And so she had to teach someone in the family a dance. I got to be that fortunate someone, um, but we enjoyed it. I mean, we practiced, I think almost for an hour and a half straight one day. And I was like, I never in my life thought I would dance for an hour and a half straight, but um, I did with her and she started to pick up softball and pitching, which is really cool. I can't wait to get home and actually get to see her uh, playing a game. That must be kind of the dream. I mean, I know she's so young, so like, I'm sure she's still figuring out what she wants to do, you know, longer term and all that. But just the fact that she's even interested must be such a cool feeling. 
yeah. And it wasn't pushed by any means. Um, you know, she got to watch me. So my, her dad and I were dating my last season of the MPF in 2015. And so she came to, um, games and then they came to Florida once and then they came to the championships. And then later on, I don't remember what we were doing. And she's like off to the side, kind of going through the pitching motion and throwing a ball around. And then I looked at Joey, I'm like, where did she learn how to do that? Like, we haven't even practiced pitching. And he's he like, looks at me and was like, who do you think she watches when we go to softball? <laughs> like, you're the only person she knows. And I was like, oh, true. And then um, she actually, I don't think she knows this, but it was like kind of a telling sign is so they were at MPF championships and um the pride had booked me a different flight home so I flew out first thing in the morning well in case we played a game that day Joey booked the last flight out for them so him and her are on the plane and he's like she's exhausted she passes out and like in the middle of the flight she all of a sudden wakes not fully wakes up kind of sleep talking almost wakes up and goes dad I want to still be able to watch cat pitch and then goes back to sleep (laughs) And it was like, so like, well, she just retired, honey. Oh, <laughs> but you know what? Maybe she could tell the future because now she gets to watch it all over again. And I tell her all the time, like, if there's anything you learn from watching this, how hard do I work? Like, if you really want to be good, really good at something, like, let's work really hard at it. And um, even right now with pitching, you know, she's in kids pitch and it's cute, but she'll be like, oh, it's not, I was only okay. I'm like, well, how much did we pitch this week? One day I'm like, okay, do I only pitch one day during the week? No. And I'm like, do you only practice dance one day of the week? No. I'm like, okay, then you can't expect to be good if we only practice one day. I'm not going to make you practice five days, but if you want to be good, you have got to want to practice. So, right. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to have something that she's enjoying. Um, that is something that I'm passionate about too. For sure. And I know you guys live in Texas. Is she a Texas fan? as well have you made her into that yeah her dad actually grew up a texas fan too um he ended up going to division three concordia there in austin but so her family um most of her family is a texas fan and so yeah she loves the longhorn she loves when we go to austin and go to games and stuff like that so if texas is playing somebody she's cheering for texas now she also cheers for the cowboys which i think is her mom's side um of the family's influence because i'm not i'm definitely not a cowboys fan although i'm not necessarily a huge NFL fan. I'm a Ron Rivera fan. So wherever he's coaching, I follow. <laughs> Makes sense. Well, I did wear the burnt orange for you today. Don't know if you can I love tell. It. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, I actually didn't think it was something that was in my color wheel. But then the last like, year or so, I've been like, you know what? I kind of, yeah, okay, I can get behind not, this. Not as bad of a color as everyone makes it out to be. Yeah. It's like, it's my LinkedIn profile picture now. So <laughs> there you go. Oh, love it. How much burnt orange do you own at this point? I actually don't own that much anymore. Um, so after college, I went straight into coaching at DePaul. And so when I moved up there, I took some with me, but not a lot. And then just over the years, um, outgrow it, it fades. I don't wear it anymore. Um, so I probably had maybe two, three, four things in my closet that were Texas, um, minus the few random shirts I've kept from college, which I don't really wear unless I really need something burnt orange and I'm like then I'm like scrambling I'm like all right I guess I'm throwing this one on today um and I'm like vintage 2004 but um actually Texas sent us a goodie box here so now I officially have um, quite a bit of burnt orange gray and white Texas stuff so I'm set now there's no excuse not to ever be in school colors if I go visit 
I love that all the schools were doing that too. I saw you and Nadia Taylor. I was like, love it. It's just, it's just fun. Well, I think it's so cool because we see football players get their gear all the time. Like I'm on social media and it's like, you have way more football players playing pro sports than you do probably female athletes in general playing pro sports. So why don't just send a little goodie bag? It doesn't have to be 800 shirts, but like shirt, pants, shoes, something, anything. Um, Yeah. A little something. Yeah. So it was fun. Um, Oregon started it and then I think they tweeted out and everyone else kind of uh, started to follow suit. That's fun. Yeah. I actually asked Monica the same thing, not burnt orange, but orange, you know, how much orange she owned when she was on as well. And one thing I actually asked Kaylani Ricketts when she was on that I'll kind of reverse ask you, which is, okay, obviously you're diehard UT. Can you say one good thing about OU? I mean, OU's brought me a lot of good friends and people in my life. That's about it. (laughs) so you know what I love about this is pretty much Kehlani said the same thing except she specifically was like I mean you know Kat Osterman came from Texas and she's my friend so yeah yeah I have Kalani Shelby Penley Lauren Chamberlain um and then more recently I've started to get to know some of the younger ones they do some fun social media like we did 50 Mile May so it was like Aaron Miller um Destiny Martinez uh Dre McKee went to Oklahoma State but like they did that and so I was like oh I'll join like I have nothing else to do in May and I kind of got to know them through that. So it's been fun. It brings me some good people. I say that about AM too, and I really don't like AM either, but it's brought me some really cool people in my life. Well, that's the most important thing. And the other thing is you've worn eight for years, but now you're 38. And yeah. I know that that kind of came from your original number, but then also your third Olympics, 38. Not my age. Right. Age. But now it will be your age. How weird, how crazy is that? It is crazy. Cause when I first announced it as going to be number 38, um, Quite a few people are like, oh, your age. I was like, no, I'm maybe 37 there, but thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was um, it was an interesting transition. So I made the national team again in 2019, and I knew Haley McClinney wore it, and I wasn't really sure how they were going to handle it. But I was like, you know what? I'll let USA Softball deal with it. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna push it. Um, and so then I got a text. I was like, hey, I need you to pick a new number, and I was really like, this is really happening. Um, and so I sat on it for a minute and like the obvious was to go 88, just like double the eights. And I was like, then I thought about it. I'm like, I really don't want to do that or 88. So I put it in and 38 had actually been my tryout number in 2019. Yeah. I was like, well, why don't you do 38? I'm like, why? Just because it was my tryout number. She, and then she said, she's like, no, it's like your third Olympics. and still number eight. I'm like, okay, I could do that. So despite what everyone um, assumed, I did not call Haley McClenney and ask her if I could have number eight. I just went ahead and rolled with it. I was like, you know what? New, new journey. We'll just take a new number with us. Um, I've kind of grown. I've grown to love it. I don't love it as much as I love number eight. I'm still accidentally sign number eight from time to time. Um, and when I'm done, I will sign number eight forever, unless it's a picture of me in a 38 jersey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just kind of came about. It was really cool. Um, obviously, you can tell I let my family have input on a lot of things. So when my mom said that, I was like, you know what? Good point. Like, let's roll with it. And Haley still actually calls me number eight. So it's good. I still get my my fix of being number eight. That's perfect. Eight recognizes eight. <laughs> yep. I yep. like it. Well, I wanted to wrap up with a very quick game that I play with everybody. It's All just, right. it's simple. Don't worry. It's called Safer Out. And basically, I'll just bring up a topic, and I'll ask you to call it safer out. And if you like it, you agree it's safe. If you don't, then it's out. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Okay. So sparkly headbands and ribbons Out. on game day. Out. Out. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever seen, you don't, you kind of like are simple. You said you don't like visors. It's like just a normal headband, right? Headband. I think there's one, I, I will go on record. There was one time I wear, I wore a big bow because I lost a bet. Not because I wanted to, I lost a bet. Okay. Well, at Not, least we know you're a person of your word if you yes. did it. The funny part is that game gets played with MPF stuff all the time. Like the one time I wore a bow and you guys use those highlights all the time. Thanks. <laughs> no, they're out. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. Actually n- not the same scale, but my senior year at Stanford, they chose like one picture from one day I wore my hair differently. And that was my photo for like the whole senior year. And I was like, okay, great. Yeah. You're like, thanks guys. Yeah. Okay. So out, that was a clear one. And this one's a little bit of a loaded one but bat flips out unless you want to get ear hold if you're ready if you and your team are prepared for the repercussions they can be in otherwise out yeah I had a feeling you'd say that and you know what Danielle Laurie said the same thing on the show which was not a surprise but you've talked to Sam Shaw about this haven't you I did in fact I gave her permission this week if she hit one she was allowed to bat flip on my team but I have it- told her that if she bat flipped against me she better know that either her or the next person Either next time she comes up or the next person is going to bat flip. But I think I scared Sam Shaw a long time ago when we faced off. So I'm safe from the bat flips of Sam Shaw. <laughs> I like that there's like a friendship there, though, even though you guys have just very different styles, you know? Yeah, it's taken a little bit um, to cultivate just because, like I said, I think I scared her a while back. But um, but yeah, she's actually a pretty cool person. And she rides with me quite a bit when we're here at Athletes Unlimited and um, yeah, we've had some bat flip conversation. I think the cool part of her bat flips are not as um, premeditated as people think. It's yeah. definitely emotion of the game. So that's why I think here at Athletes Unlimited, she was like, I, there haven't been very many of them that I knew for sure was gone. So I didn't do it. And she's like, and it's the motion of the game. If you look at them, most of them are like, the go ahead, the tying to put us really close, something like that. And I was like, I get it. Just know that your emotions can cause some repercussions sometimes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Teaching her. That's awesome. Well, this was, this was really fun. Thank you again for, for taking the time to chat. This was great. And congrats again on athletes unlimited, but then everything else that you have in store and just other things that you've accomplished in your life, like you're a great family and everything else. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Kat Osterman. Wow. There's just not a whole lot that needs to be said to describe her. I mean, I think it's very fitting that she is such a big Wonder Woman fan. And the same way Wonder Woman inspires and empowers all of us, Kat really does that in the women's sports world as well. And so with that said, the double play tip of the week is going to be a little bit different today. This week's double play tip is about how to support women's sports. And there are lots of ways to do this, but I want to focus on a couple key concepts. So physically, watch. Watch women's sports. Watch them on TV, watch them streaming online, in person in a post-COVID world. Exposure is kind of a chicken and egg situation. The way that we're going to get more women's sports on TV is to watch more women's sports. We have to show the demand, and that's what's going to get us the supply. This is really how the Women's College World Series got so big. People got a taste, they liked it, they watched it, and ESPN keeps adding more and more programming dedicated to softball as a result. But I do want to point out, like, I'm saying this for all levels. This isn't just college, and it's not just the Women's College World Series. Let's talk about regular season. But beyond that, it's also pro, 
international ball. Those are the role models that will inspire young girls to play. And that's what grows the sport. You can even build up to local travel ball tournaments in high schools when that's available too, if you really wanna cover the whole gamut. But the bottom line is that visibility creates opportunity. And a coworker told me that once years ago, and it's always stuck with me because it's true. Now mentally, invest. And you know, watching the games, the matches, the meets, whatever they are, that's part of it. But with that comes investing your time. There's ways to do this. Consume content, follow athletes, programs, the news on social media. For softball, start with goats like Kat Osterman, Natasha Watley. Include NCAA softball and specific college softball programs. It's just easy to start with the Power Five. They tend to have resources to put out a lot of content and you can build from there. And then of course there is Athletes Unlimited, the MPF, national teams, news outlets like Softball America and D1 Softball. You'll get to know these athletes and these programs and the sport and the community and you just kind of naturally get invested. The more you follow, the more you'll discover who or what else to follow. It's just kind of a ripple effect. You learn more, like all the ways you can watch games that maybe you didn't even know about. There's also investing money. You know, it's tough times right now. And for most people, money is very hard earned. But if you can, this is all about what you can do. And I don't mean just spending it on event tickets, although that's great when, whenever we're able to do that again. But it's also about things like purchasing merchandise. I just, for example, bought the Athletes Unlimited Tops Trading Cards Pack to support them. It's about doing things like that, subscribing to publications like D1 Softball, for example, donate to nonprofits. These are all ways that organizations keep things running too. And again, give whatever's at your disposal. Instead of money, you could donate gear to fantastic organizations like Goods for Greatness. I just gave a lot of Stanford and Nike stuff to a local high school in Ventura County where I'm from, and it was great. Rhiannon Potkey's fantastic, and she makes it so easy. Volunteer or coach if you're knowledgeable. Honestly, just give encouraging words to female athletes. Whether it's a five-year-old playing t-ball or an Athletes Unlimited Pro, that is being supportive. It helps push them to keep playing, just like Kat said. And that goes for athletes cross-supporting too. You know, one of my best friends from Stanford was on the women's basketball team. And still to this day, if someone asks me who my favorite basketball team is, People usually assume you're going to say an NBA team, but I just say Stanford women's basketball. You know, we watched each other's games. We made posters and signs, tweeted support, all of it. And you see athletes unlimited softball and volleyball kind of doing this with each other virtually. And those are the good vibes we need. So get involved. The more you are, the more you'll want to be and the more you'll love it. So that's the physical and mental side of supporting women's sports. Watch and invest. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available anywhere you get your pods, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Believe.com, or anywhere else. We got you. Subscribe, rate, and write a review for the show. That would be huge. I'd love to see more feedback. Share the episodes with family and friends and on social media. Speaking of which, you can still always hit me up on Twitter at JennaBacera01 and Instagram at JennaBacera. Thank you for tuning in and catch you soon. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.